reconciler of all things. That's what we're going to talk about today. Verse 20, through him and through him to reconcile him to all things, whether on heaven or earth or in heaven. Paul is talking about Jesus Christ as a reconciler of all things. What does it mean to reconcile? The word reconcile here means, it means to, to fix a broken relationship. Reconciler means fix things that are broken. Jesus Christ is not only the sovereign king of all things, he is the fixer of all things. The worldview of the Bible of this world is this. If Jesus Christ come to reconcile fixed broken things, then the implication of that means that this world is a broken world. Christmas service, I attended the Christmas Eve service. Pastor Ujin preached about the fact that Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. The reason why Jesus Christ came is to save his people from their sins, which implication of that means is his people are suffering under the power of sin. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came into the world because this world is a broken place. Jesus Christ came into the world because his people are suffering under the power of sin. You and I need to have a correct view of this world. Do you understand? Look, unbelievers or even unbelievers have a very strange, very, have a very unrealistic way of, way of viewing this world. People in their 20s believe that this world exists primarily as a stage to unleash their ambition in life. People in their 20s think that this world is a blank canvas and this world exists so that their ambition can be realized in this place. They think this world is a neutral place where their ambitions can be fulfilled. People in their 30s believe this world is a neutral place where they can build their secure life in this world. People in their 40s believe that this place is a neutral place where their kids can be have where their kids can be happy and healthy in this place. People have a very unrealistic way of viewing this world. We view this world as a blank state where you can find happiness in this place. This world is not dangerous. This world is not broken. This world is a blank state where everything that you want to happen can happen. That is not the Christian worldview. This world is not a blank state. This world primarily doesn't exist for you to be happy. This world doesn't primarily exist for you to fulfill your dreams or find security. This place is a gloriously made place. Let's be honest. It is a gloriously made place. I am just daily amazed by the beauty and the glory of this world. Man, a couple of weeks ago, Joe, Heather, and I went to this taco place in Falls Church. 
We waited an hour and a half for those tacos, but my goodness, those are glorious tacos. I don't want to give free advertisement. I'll tell you later. But my tongue was filled with the beauty of taco two weeks ago. You may laugh at it, but I was praising God on the inside. This world is filled with God's glory and beauty and things that are right and good and perfect. That's true. But this world is also deeply broken. Deeply broken. It is so broken. The people, not only things, but the people in this world are so broken. You and I are so broken. The God Himself had to enter our time and space to fix us. Christianity is this. This world is a beautiful, glorious place because God made it, but it is a deeply broken place. It needs fixing. You and I need fixing. And the only one who can fix this world and the only one who can fix you and me is Jesus Christ. Why don't people think they need Christ? Because they don't think this world is broken. They don't think they are broken. When they think of Jesus, they only think about Jesus as someone who's helping them live, live out this world. They think of Jesus as someone who can just help them realize their dreams. Why do they have such a childish view of Jesus Christ? Because they think this world is not broken. They don't think they're broken. But the tenets of our faith is that this world and you and me we're broken. It is only Jesus Christ who can fix it. That's what Paul is saying here. Do you understand? Look. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you think the world is, you cannot escape from the brokenness of this world. You cannot escape from the brokenness that you have inside of you. You can't escape it. You can't. A couple of examples. In my life, I got in trouble preaching a couple of times at a Korean church. Right? The, the church I, I was at before Embrace, it was a predominantly, like SPC, like filled with Korean, first-generation Korean immigrants who live, don't live easy lives, right? Who are shop owners, who are you know, cleaners, who are... They live manual labor. They live very tough existence. And the pastor of that church knew that a lot of those people came to America so that their kids, like y'all, will have better opportunities here in America. Right? That's what, they, that's what your parents gave up everything and come to America. Not my parents. My parents never really left Korea. Right? First generation immigrant right here. Right? But your, gener your parents are the first generation immigrants. And the reason why your parents came here is so that they gave up their promising career in Korea so that you will have a better life here in America, right? They worked long hours. They worked humiliating hours, let's be honest, so that you can have a good opportunity here in America. That's all your parents ever want. 
is for you to make it in American society. But good old PJ on early morning prayer service in a room filled with such first-generation immigrants who's hoping their kids will become successful people in society. You know what I told them? I said, it doesn't matter how successful your kids are. Without Jesus Christ, they're doomed. Imagine saying that to your parents who gave up everything for you. And this young punk comes to say to them, it doesn't matter how successful your, your kids become. Without Christ, that they're doomed. That they're a prison to their sins. The pastor got so mad at me, and he told me, how dare you tell that to these people whose only hope in their, is in their kids? But was I wrong? Your parents believe that if you're successful enough, then your success will kind of block you from the pains of this life. That is simply not true. No matter how successful you are, no matter how accomplished you are, no matter how much money you have in your bank account, you cannot escape the brokenness of this world. You cannot escape the brokenness that is in you. You cannot do it. One of the reasons why, why God made me, God exposed me to many, many different successful people whose W-2s will astonish you. I'm a son of a very, well, I'm a son of a very prominent man whose power would astonish you. But regardless of what power and position and money these people have, none of them could escape from the brokenness of this world, could escape from the brokenness of their sins. No one gets out alive. No one gets out alive. No one gets out unfazed by the brokenness of who they are and the brokenness of the world. We may have a fantasy view of what this life is, but regardless of your fantasy notion, the reality of this world and the reality of your heart will come and inevitably make you struggle. This world, as glorious as it is, you as gloriously made as you are, you need a healer. You need a fixer. You need a reconciler. And the only one who can reconcile you and to make you better and fix you and fix this world is Jesus Christ. He is the only one. No one can, nothing can but him. That's Paul's point, and that's what we believe in. Do you understand? He has not come to make you realize your dreams, man. He has not come here to give you a wife. He has not come here to give you a career. He has not come here to make you have a nice, secure existence in Fairfax County, Virginia. He has come to fix you, and he has come to fix me because he is a great reconciler. That's Paul's point. Are you with me?
I promise, James, I'm not, I'm not going to hit it, but I, I can't help but to hit it because it's true. Why is this world broken? This world is broken, Scripture says, because men and women rebelled against God. Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through, through one man, and death through sin, and this, and this way death came to all people, because all sinned. Romans 8, 8, chapter 8, verse 20, for the creation was subject to frustration. What he means is, when Adam and Eve sinned, death came in to the world. Not only death, but the entire creation was subject to frustration, was contaminated because of Adam's sin. When men and women, when men and women rebelled against God, Everything fell out of its place. The word sin. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon. And he says one of the words for sin in the Old Testament is ava. And ava means to be dislocated. To be dislocated. So ava means when you have a dislocated shoulder, if your shoulder pops off, it's dis dislocated from its joint. It causes you much pain. Ava is like that. When men and women sinned, everything became dislocated from their proper place. When God created existence, he made it so that everything was in their proper place. Everything was nice and neat and clean and orderly because everything was in their proper place. When Adam and Eve sinned, it's like Adam and Eve took a grenade and threw it in existence. And the grenade exploded, and everything became disjointed. Everything became dislodged. Everything became disoriented. Everything became shattered and fell into pieces. God created the world, just like Sean Stark would like it, perfectly orderly way. But when Adam and Eve sinned, everything became disjointed, disorganized, disoriented. Everything became shattered. And that's the reality that we're living in. It doesn't, what the Bible says is true, is it not? Isn't this world just filled with, it's a mess, isn't it? Whether it is politics, whether it is racism, whether it is your individual lives, everything is dislocated, disjointed, everything is a mess. We're used to living in that mess, right? Like, my, if you go to my son's room, it's, it's, it's like Sean Stark's nightmare. But my son doesn't care because he's used to the mess, right? We may be used to the mess, but the reality is our lives here and the world here is an absolute shambles. This place needs to be healed, to be fixed. When men and women sinned, because they are now rebelled against God, their hearts are disjointed from God, everything else fell apart. We need a Savior to build everything back up again. 
That's what Paul means in verse 20. Christ reconciles to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus Christ, the way he makes things, the way he rebuilds things, the way he makes things orderly back together again, it is through the cross. It is through his death. The reason Jesus came here it is to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You know, that's, you, know, you know that children's rhyme? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's men came back to, right? But they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Jesus Christ has come to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And it starts with you. The way he puts creation back in order again, he first... He first pays the sacrifice for our sins so that our relationship with God can be mended again. Look, the human condition is this. The human condition is like Tim Keller said, our spirits, our hearts, our minds are disjointed. We don't know the reality of God. We were made in the image of God. We're supposed to live with God. We're supposed to worship God. We're supposed to live under the law of God. But because of our rebellion, our minds and our hearts are disjointed from, from, from how we're made. And the biggest evidence of, you know, one of the main like, evidence of this reality, in my opinion, is the transgender people. Transgender people wake up every morning thinking that they're not who they're supposed to be. They wake up this morning, every morning, and say their bodies are not who they're supposed to be. And this is causing a major pain in their lives. And you need to sympathize with them. You need to sympathize with them because they're experiencing, I think, what all of us are experiencing. If you're honest, you know at the secret chambers of your heart that you know you're not who you're supposed to be. Everyone, like the transgender community, knows there's something not right about you. There isn't. Transgender people believe that the solution is changing their bodies to conform with how they feel. They believe if they just conform their outside into who they feel on the inside, then they will have peace. But the research is clear. Even if they go through this painful, dangerous procedure and come from their outside to their inside, that voice that tells them they are not who they're supposed to be, that doesn't go away. You know that you're not who you're supposed to be. And therefore, you fill your life with whatever you think you need to make, you feel, make yourself acceptable. 
Maybe you don't like the way you are, and you believe a career is the one that will fix who you are on the inside. Maybe it's a, it's a better body. Maybe it's a girlfriend. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's a wife. There's something that you believe that if you have, it's going to make you feel more acceptable on the inside. But the Christian reality is, there's nothing that can make you feel acceptable in the inside because your, my cause and your cause of feeling not right has nothing to do with what we have or what we don't have. It has to do with whether we know God or not. And unless you solve that problem, unless you, your heart finds God and worships him, as, as, until you find your heart joined with God again, you will always feel you're not supposed to be who you are. Do you understand? Look, I, w- I was watching an interview with Ben Affleck the other day. Ben Affleck, he's he, like, he, he, was, he had a meeting with one of the most famous actors in the world. Uh, he didn't tell us who, but he said, this person is the most famous actor in the world. Everyone in the world know who this guy is. A white guy, very famous actor. But this very famous actor was upset at Ben Affleck because a few years ago, Ben Affleck, when he first met Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck didn't acknowledge him or something. Or he, Ben Affleck didn't you know, worship the guy or something. And the guy held a grudge. And Ben Affleck realized then and there, he says, you know what, it, what I realize he says? He says, even if you're the most famous actor, and if, even if everyone knows you, and even if you have proven yourself over and over again, that voice in your head that desires acknowledgement, affirmation of who you are, that never goes away. He says, it doesn't matter who you are in Hollywood. That insecure voice that says you are not good enough, that never goes away. And I realized it's because unless you know, unless your heart finds its unity in God, you will always feel disjointed. Not only that, the Bible says all the sin in the world comes from the fact that your heart is dislocated from God. All the envy, all the sexual morality, all the lust, all the things that that is a cancer of this world stems from the fact that your heart and my heart is dislocated from God. You hate people who have more than you. You hate people who have less than you. You want to use people. You want to envy people. You want to do all these things simply because your heart and my heart is dislocated from God. All the sin of the world that causes great damage to this world comes from a dislocated human heart, a heart that does not know God. Therefore, in order to build this world, Jesus Christ, first had to die for all the sins that we commit so that our relationship with God can be right, so that our hearts can find, can be, can join join God again as as they were created. The way Jesus Christ rebuilds this world is first and foremost by dying for his people, 
so that his people will no, longer, will no longer be in an animosity position with God, so that his people can find their unity with God again. Once that happens, once his humanity's relationship with God is restored, the Bible is clear, once that starts to happen, then everything else in creation will start to find their proper place in Christ. Christ has come so that our relationship with God can be, can be reconciled. And after that, after that relationship is reconciled, Jesus Christ is in the process of rebuilding creation until one day all of the creation will find their proper order, everything will be just made right, and God, Jesus Christ is going to give this created order back to God again. Jesus Christ is in the process of rebuilding this world, and it starts from rebuilding your heart and mine. Do you understand? In order for your heart and mine to be rebuilt, he needed to die for us because the consequences of our sin is so great. Look, I was thinking about superheroes like I always do. I was thinking about Batman, Superman, Spider-Man the other day. 50-year-old, I'm still thinking about superheroes. When I realize about these heroes, I realize this. Every hero that I like are heroic because it cost them great sacrifice to be a hero. You know what I mean? There's no hero that didn't pay the price of being a hero. Similarly, in the kingdom of men, right, the way the kingdom of men are built again, the way the kingdom of men are built is usually built by the spilling of a lot of blood. Kingdoms of men, there's, I think there's 26 dynasties in the history of humanity, and all those dynasties have been built after much bloodshed. Kingdoms have been built by much bloodshed. Kingdom of God is also built by bloodshed. God is not building his kingdom without blood. But the difference between the kingdom of men and the kingdom of God is, in order for Jesus Christ to rebuild this world for the kingdom of God, he had to spill his own blood to rebuild everything back together again, to rebuild you back together again. He needs to spill his own blood as a sacrifice for your sin. Jesus Christ is the only God who spilled his own blood so that the kingdom of God will be built in you and so that the kingdom of God will be rebuilt on this earth. That's what Paul means when he says Jesus Christ reconciles all things in the cross. When he dies for his people, their relationship with God become reconciled and as soon as their relationship with God become reconciled, Jesus Christ is rebuilding creation in his properly ordered place. Do you understand? And as Christians, 
we are called to live under we are called to live under the understanding of this reality. Look, if you're a Christian, you are called to live under the understanding that Jesus Christ is rebuilding this world in him. If you're a Christian, you are not supposed to look at this world as a blank state, as a place where it exists for your dreams to come true. No, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to look at your life in the larger context of God's rebuilding his kingdom in this world. That's how you're supposed to live life. And that's exactly what he's telling the Colossians in verse 21. He says, verse 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. What is Paul doing here? He says What he's doing here is this. Verses... <coughs> Sorry. Verses 15 to 20, Paul is giving the Colossians a bigger picture of what God is doing. Verses 21 and 22, Paul is saying, in the light of what I'm talking about, in, verses, in the context of the large picture, in verses 21 and 22, you need to live under the reality of what Jesus Christ is doing. Jesus Christ is rebuilding this world by rebuilding the people of God. Verse 21, Paul is reminding the Colossians who they were before they were saved. Verse 21, Paul is saying, Colossians, your life is also an example of God rebuilding his world because, verse 21, Colossians, you guys were once alienated from God. You guys were, were, were strangers to God. There was a one time in your life, Colossians, that you guys were, you guys were, you, where God was a stranger. Just because you're a human being, it doesn't mean that you belong to God. There are human beings who are aliens and strangers to God. Just because you're a human being, it doesn't make you a child of God, right? That's what Paul is saying. Verse 20, and Paul is saying, even though you're a human being, once you are a stranger to God. How do you know you're a stranger to God? You're a stranger to God in your mind. You're a stranger to God in the hostility of your mind, doing evil deeds. Once you were aliens of God. How do you know? By the way you think. In the way you, before you knew God, in the way you think, you were hostile to God. In the everyday matters of your life, you didn't agree with God. You agreed more with the world. You agreed with more than, more with your desires. You did not agree with God in your thinking. And this incorrect thinking has led to evil behaviors. That's what who you were. Listen to me carefully. How do you know you're an enemy of God? It's not how you feel about God that tells you that you're an enemy of God. It's how you think that tells you whether you're an enemy of God. What do you think about sex? What do you think about premarital sex? What do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about pornography? 
What do you think about, what do you think about money? What do you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ? What do you think about your parents? What do you think about your people? What do you think about all these areas of your life? How do you think? What is your thinking regarding these things? How you think about these things will lead you to your behavior. Your thinking and that leads to behavior is evidence of whether you're a stranger to God or not. I think the most dangerous assumption that people, Christians have these days is they think as long as they feel that they love God, they belong to God. That may not be true. The Bible is clear. Your feeling towards God isn't an indication of whether you know him or not. Your thinking about everyday matters, that's the indication whether you know God or not. Do you understand? Look, I was reading an interview with, with this woman named Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield was a once a lesbian feminist, women's studies professor at Syracuse University, right? She had a relationship with a woman. She was on a tenure track at Syracuse, right? She had, you know, right? She wrote about women's studies and feminism and all that stuff. Her career was going fine. She was happy. But then she decided to prove Christianity wrong by studying the Bible, she says, oh, her theory was the Bible is patriarchy, the Bible is bad to women. I'm going to use the Bible to prove how wrong the Bible is. So she started researching the Bible for three years. And after three years, she was converted. And this is what she says. She says, when I was a lesbian feminist professor, I didn't have hatred towards God. I felt nothing about God. But after being converted, I realized, even though I may not have hated God emotionally when I was an unbeliever, I was still his enemy because my thinking was incorrect. My thinking was inconsistent with God's revealed will. She says, the way that I thought about homosexuality, the way that I thought about men, the way that I thought about life, it was inconsistent with God's revealed will. That's what made me an enemy of God. Paul is saying, Colossians, your thinking was hostile to God. But God in his miracle has saved you. You heard the gospel. You trusted in, you become aware of your sins. You trusted in Christ as, a, as your savior. Just like Rosario Butterfield was converted, Colossians, you too were converted. Colossians, can't you see your life experience is consistent with what I said Jesus, what Jesus is? Jesus has come to be a reconciler, reconciler between God and man. Colossians, you experienced a reconciliation. You were once hostile to God, but now you're not. You see what Paul is doing here? He's painting a big picture of what God is doing. And in verses 21 and 22, he's saying, Colossians, you're experiencing this in your personal life. This conversion is happening in your personal life. Jesus Christ is not just a theory, but it is your life experience. Your conversion testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ is a reality. The question is, my young brothers and sisters, is this a reality for you? 
Is the converting, saving work of Jesus Christ a reality to you? Is this mind-persuading, changing, loyalty-shifting work in your life, is it real to you? Is it? I was at a small group a couple of weeks ago. And this is, a, this is a question that I asked a small group. Small group. Has your thinking changed about things? If you belong to God, your thinking must change. Have they changed about things? Have your thinking thoughts about women and pornography and all these things, has it changed? And the small group said yes. Maybe they said yes because I was asking them passionately. But I think so. I think they, their thoughts have changed. You know? And if your thought has changed, Paul says, be glad. Because if God has converted you in Christ, who are you before him? You are holy, blameless, above reproach. If you have truly trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you know that you deserve God's wrath, but yet through the blood of Christ you've been washed clean by him, then Paul is saying when God looks at you, he looks at you, he considers you as holy, blameless, above reproach. Holy and blameless, I think Paul is thinking of thinking about the Old Testament way of examining sacrifices. In the Old Testament, when the person comes to worship God, they need to offer up sacrifices before the Lord, animals and whatnot, right? And before the sacrifice is offered up, the priest examines the, the animal carefully to make sure there's no blemish in the animal. That's the mind that I think Paul has. He's saying, if you are in Christ, God is going to examine you very carefully. He's going to look at you from behind, from top, bottom. He's going to look at you very carefully. And if you are in Christ... Paul is saying, God will find you faultless and holy. Remember, Colossians are being taught this theory that, yes, believing in Jesus Christ is important for salvation, but in order to earn God's favor, you need to be more disciplined. You need to say no to certain foods. You need to live a very self-controlled life in order for God to accept you. Paul's saying, no. If you're in Christ, if you truly have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you know there's nowhere else for you to go but Christ, when God looks at you, he looks at you as a holy, blameless person who is above reproach. Above reproach means free from accusation. No one can tell you that you're unworthy. Because if you're in Christ, God considers you above reproach. No one can accuse you of anything. If you're in Christ, Paul says, Colossians, that is who you are, and that is how you're supposed to live reality. If you're in Christ... When God looks at you, and his, his opinion is the only opinion that matters, 
the girl's opinion towards you, your parents' opinion of who you are, your wife's opinion of who you are, your children's opinion of who you are, they don't matter at all. God's opinion is the only thing that matters. But if you're in Christ, he considers you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Do you understand? If you're a Christian, that is how you feel about yourself. That is the idea that th that is who you are. The world will tell you that you're unworthy. Your flesh will tell you that you're unworthy. It, it, it will. Right? Look, I had a friend back in my old company days. His greatest sadness is the fact that his children didn't get, he had three children, is the fact that his three children didn't get into prestigious universities. He's a white guy. I, white people still care about those things, I suppose. No offense. His greatest pain, he said he remembers one day, one time he went to Europe with his kids, and he met his old friend and his family, and his friends, kids, one got into Princeton, and the other one went to UVA. And when he looked at his kids, who didn't go to Princeton or UVA, he felt horrible. There are things that the flesh and the world will tell you that you are unworthy, that you don't measure up. You're going to have a friend who's more successful than you are. You're going to have a friend who's going to drive a better car than you are, you have. And it's going to eat you up. But Paul is saying, Christian, you don't live in the value of the world anymore. If you're in Christ, you are blameless, holy, without fault. And this is the way you must think about yourself. If you are having, if you are judging yourself, based upon the fallen standards of this world, it is perhaps because you don't know how God, God, God sees you. And maybe it's because you haven't trusted in Christ. Your opinion about yourself, more than anything else, reveals whether you truly know Christ or not. It's true, I think. If you feel that you are an unworthy person because you don't have certain things, it's because you think the certain things that you're lacking is your answer to who you are, which shows that you don't really know Christ. Because if you knew Christ, how, how he looks at you is the only thing that matters. How do you look at yourself this morning? Are you looking at yourself strictly in terms of what you're lacking? Perhaps it is because you don't know Christ and the way God sees you that you don't realize. Do you know Christ? Do you trust him? Not how you feel about him, but the way you think, the way you think about him, the way you think about his truth. Do you know Christ? If you do, God considers you holy, blameless, and above reproach.
That is what you need to hold on to as you live your days here. If you're depending upon other things to justify, justify who you are, perhaps you don't know him. If you don't know him, confess and ask him to fill your life with him so that his opinion is the only thing that matters in this world. Let us pray.